This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Bridget and Scott, it's been, what, 30 days since the Bruins last played or between between games? It's been quite a while. So I know, Scott, you were at Warrior Arena uh, this week. And and what's what's the latest going on with the Bruins? Well, they have new lines. Um, Bridget, do you want to start with that or? Yeah, yeah, I will start. So um, my Opening shift has a lot to do with the new line combinations. Um, yeah, Scott, you tweeted them out from practice yesterday. Um, really, there's quite a bit of movement, um, more than I was expecting. Like, I was kind of expecting them just to purely swap Patra for Coil, but they did more than that. So they moved DeBrusque to the left side um, on the same line with Zaka and Pasternak. Um, and then Marshawn Patra Geeky which I want to get into that line a little bit more. And then Van Riemsdyk, Coel, Frederick, and then the normal fourth line of Lucci, Beecher, Lauco. Um, and so my, f- I, I have no issue with the, the first line combination, Debrusque and Pasternak and Zaka. I think they'd be fine together. Um, I was intrigued by the fact that they dropped Van Riemsdyk to the, as well as Coil off of their original lines to align with Frederick. Um, as well as decided Geeky would be elevated to the second line with Marshawn as well, which is something that we haven't really seen. Um, so that would be something where chemistry would need to get built. And I want to hear Scott's opinion on what that looked like in practice. I know it's probably a small sample size that you saw, um, but maybe some thoughts on why Geeky makes sense on the right wing um, on a line with Marshawn and, and Patra. Um, so I'm not entirely convinced that this is the best shakeup of the players, um, to be honest, I would do, I, and I've been saying it, want to see Marshawn with Patra, but I was happier with DeBrusque on that line as well. So, um, what are you guys thoughts on that? Bridget with the, the longest opening shift of all time. <laughs> no. um, you? you definitely hold the record. Don't even, but, but we weren't calling them opening shifts then. So it doesn't even count. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, you can see the reasoning in, in all these lines. Um, you know, Potter and Geeky have worked pretty well together in the third line, I think. So I understand keeping them together and then upgrading the other wing to Marshand. Um, you know, we talked about it. Like, it kind of serves two purposes here. One is that Marshand coiled the brusque line was being used in sort of like a shutdown role and they weren't, they were doing a very good job defending and not giving up chances. They weren't getting a ton of chances at the other end. So Jim Montgomery kind of even alluded to this uh, after practice when he was asked about the lines and mentioned that Van Reems like Coyle Frederick could be used as sort of a matchup line. 
And Coyle and Frederick played that role together basically all of last season. So we know that he can do it. Van Reems likes, you know, he's not going to be nominated for a Selkie or anything, but he's been a responsible two-way player his whole career. Like, he's not a liability defensively. Um, meanwhile, Martian and DeBrusque now both get freed up and put into a little bit more offensive situations. Potra's playmaking ability gets, you know, a clear upgrade with Marshand on his wing. So I see the reasoning behind all these lines. I Part of me still feels like there's kind of one more shift to go, which would be sort of, I'm with you. Like I thought the more natural change would have been just flipping Potter and coil. But I wonder if part of that is you don't want coil to feel like it's a clear demotion just yet, you know? So like you still give him Van Reems that again, it's like, Hey, here's, you know, a career long top six forward and scorer. So that line can still be expected to produce offensively. Um, but it does feel like eventually, you know, a third line of Frederick Coyle geeky move in Reamsdike back up to the Zaka Pasenark line. And then Yomasha and Patrick DeBrusque, like that still makes sense to me to end up there at some point, but I do kind of get, um, you know, making this the first step. Those are a couple of long back-to-back shifts there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So did you want my, my, my two cents on that? Or do you want to want me to go to mine? Yeah, I mean, I think, Scott, to your point, if uh, if we're massaging feelings here, it's not the right strategy. I mean, Charlie Coyle's 30 or 31 years old, so maybe even 32. Um, I hope that's not the case and really shouldn't be. So, I mean, other than that, I, I kind of echo what you guys said on that. I think it's it was kind of inevitable, I think, seeing Patra move into those um, those top two center roles. And, and yeah, I think – yeah, naturally switching him and, and Coyle was probably the easiest. Maybe Montgomery's just trying to, you know, again, tinker with his toys and see what he has and and, and why not, right? It's it's the first month of the season. And we talked about how the, the California trip might not be the toughest competition. But, I mean, Anaheim beat Carolina the other night. And, you know, the Kings are pretty good. And everybody's, you know, trying to play their best hockey in October. So you don't want to take any trip for granted. So I'm sure he's just trying to see what he has. And – Maybe it's the kind of thing that they tried with Taylor Hall, like moving that kind of caliber guy to the third line, um, Van Riemsdyk being, you know, the replacement there. And the other thing that maybe I'm not a huge fan of is I know DeBrusque can play both sides and he's versatile like that, but he's been playing mostly on the right side the last few seasons. And I feel like that's probably his more comfortable side. So moving him to the left to keep Pasternak on the right for that that top new version of the top line um, is, you know, that could be a little bit of an adjustment for him at first um, because he's moving back over to the left where he'd been playing a lot at the right. Yeah, it's interesting because for, because for years, it seemed like DeBrusque wasn't really comfortable playing on the right. He, he would get flipped over every now and then and it wouldn't really go all that well and he, he would end up back on the left. And now basically since the second half of the 21-22 season when he first got moved up with Bergeron and Marchand, he's been almost exclusively a right winger. So you're talking, you know, a a full season, like almost a season and a half at this point. So it has been a while since, you know, I'm sure he's 
had shifts here and there on the left side. Um, but it has been a while since he's played there regularly. I, my feeling is it's kind of like riding a bike. I, if you've been a left wing your whole life, I don't think you forget how to play left wing, but it could, there could be a little bit of an adjustment. Um, and as for the, the sort of like massaging coils feelings, you know, I just wonder if that's part of it. I also think there's like, there's hockey reasons to line up this way where, you know, if you want to get more rush chances from a Zaka Pasenak line, Debrusque is going to help you do that more than Van Riemsdyk, who, you know, was a really good skater in his prime, but has certainly lost a little bit of foot speed now that he's in his mid thirties. Um, you know, putting Gigi with Marsha and Patrick gives that line some size, uh, you know, and kind of another forechecking presence, which Dabrowski is, is a good forechecker too, but that does become a smaller line if it's Marsha and Patrick Dabrowski. And then the, again, the scoring threat in the third line that you, you just mentioned, Bridget, like, Last year, they loved having Taylor Hall there as someone who can help create offense. And Van Riemsdyk's obviously a very different kind of player. He's not going to be creating offense with speed, you know, pushing D back, being a playmaker. But he can help create offense by being a presence around the net, which we've certainly already seen on the power play, but he can do five on five as well. So, Scott, did you have an opening take yourself? Yeah, so just another thing that, you know, of note from Monday's practice, Danton Heinen's still here. He was still out there for practice, still does not have a contract. So uh, I know, you know, people kind of wondering about that situation, why he hasn't been signed yet, why he's still hanging around. Um, You know, Jim Montgomery, I think it was late last week when he was asked about Heinen, basically said, like, we've asked him to be patient, and he has been. I think clearly they're they're waiting for something, and it could be this nine game Patra extended tryout. Like I, it's possible they're trying to wait that out before they, you know, that way you know, okay, what does the roster look like with Patra? What does it look like without? You kind of wait to make a final decision um, because if you know, like you could look at it as. If you end up sending Patra back, then Patrick Brown, who's also still with the team, probably doesn't get sent down, and you just sign Heinen and add him. Um, if Patra does stick around, then I think Heinen still signs. Like I think the reason he's still around is because I think they have you know sort of a handshake deal that he's going to be signed either way. But then you have to make you know a corresponding move, whether it's sending Brown down, whether it's some sort of trade. So. Um, I I think it's just for like the clarity of what exactly is the roster going to look like after nine games, but you know it is it is obviously a little bit weird because it's like he could get hurt in practice at any moment, and now all of a sudden he's you know he's kind of screwed. You you would hope maybe like the Bruins still try to find a way to take care of him if that did happen, but um, you know for him I'm sure he's waiting around because. There probably isn't anything better out there. He likes the situation. You know, he probably knows he has a spot. So it makes sense for him, for him from his perspective, to hang around too. Um, where it would get interesting is if another team did come calling and 
offer him a real contract that would sort of force the Bruins hand to, you know, basically either, either sign him or don't. Sorry, turn my mic off. Um, I think that I'm glad you kind of mentioned the timeline, right? Cause we thought the timeline was to start the season. And it turns out that the timeline um, has extended beyond that. And then I think a lot of people were wondering, okay, then when, like, is this, is this going to happen? And like, when's, why not? Why hasn't it happened yet? Um, and that, though I do agree, that's probably what they are waiting for. I'm not 100% sure why it's necessary, because I think it's easy enough to just send Brown down and to insert Heinen right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, there's no reason why you couldn't do that. So uh I think that that's probably what's going to happen inevitably anyway. I'm, I mean, at least in my opinion, Heinen is the better option there than, than Brown. Um, I do think there's, I, so I don't know if you guys had the chance to watch any of the latest behind the B there's two episodes from this season. Um, and they showed some of the conversation that was going on with Don Sweeney and the rest of the staff on their decision-making process and keeping Patra and, you know, waving other players and to keep Patra around. And it did sound like they very seriously um, were considering the nine games being that's it. Um, but I feel like as Patra continues to do what he's been doing, uh, that chance gets slimmer and slimmer by the day that he's going to be sent down. So at some point in the next few games even if it's before the nine games you're I, I the understanding is that he's going to stick around I feel like maybe Heinen could get signed quicker in that situation but truthfully the logic behind it um is a little bit lost on me I mean who would you guys say has been the most impactful center for them through two games would you say it's been Patra yes certainly at five on five you know if you wanted to like add in Coyle's penalty killing or whatever, but five on five, I'd say it's pretty clearly Potter. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that he, he should be sticking around. I mean, as for Heinen, I just think you can never have too much depth as long as you can fit it under the cap. And I think, you know, he's not a centerman, right? So that's where, you know, Patrick Brown, it's like, you know, you have that, that 13th type forward who's a center. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like Heinen. I, I like what he brings to the table as a, as a low risk depth forward that you're going to need throughout the course of a season. If it's not him, it's, you know, somebody from Providence, you got to call up. And I, you know, obviously he's an NHL player. So it's surprising to me that he, he's not, doesn't really have teams calling him, um, you know, for a middle six role because, you know, teams are in different phases of their, of their development as an organization. Um, but if it comes down to the player's preference and then, then there you go. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think clearly he's he's sticking around because there's a yeah a handshake agreement in place, and I think he'll be part of this team going forward uh, in in a depth depth capacity. So uh, for me, and I'll throw it to you guys quickly. I mean, the one thing that comes to my mind, um, and we were just talking about Patra, but for, my 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 question is just: say he ends up becoming one of your top two centers for the rest of this season, and he scores between. I don't know, call it 35, 50 points as a 19-year-old. How does that change the Bruins' approach going forward as it pertains to addressing um, high-end sentiment outside the organization via trade or free agency? 
does do the Bruins view Zaka and 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 Patra as yeah like they're our number one and number two centers and um, you know Charlie Coyle is is our three center until he no longer is like I just wonder if Patra has a season that we all think he might kind of have and I don't think thirty five points is I mean that's a hell of a season for a 19 year old, but I, I think it just seems like it's within reach for him uh, on a low end. So call it 40 points. To, how, how does that change the Bruins perspective? Like you always want to improve your team, but obviously Zaka's locked up for a little bit here and he's only you know, 24, 25 years old. Patra's 19. I mean, is it one I of those think situations Zaka's where 26, <clears throat> I think Pablo Zaka's 26. If I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah, he might he might be and and um but but in any event you know s- same range and um not in his peak in, in his prime yet but do the Bru- would the Bruins view Zaka and Patra as like good one and two centers down the line but neither one's elite like then they still want to try to get an elite player like what does Patra turn into so obviously you can't predict the future you know years ahead but that's why I'm saying like say this year comes and goes and Patra's like a forty point. 50 point player and you have Zaka there and like, just how does that change their, their mindset? Well, so that's a great transition into our mailbag because that is pretty much exactly one of the questions that we got. So um, let's just start with that one. Uh, So I'll read it off for you. Uh, We got this one on Twitter uh, and the username was at Charlie boy on Twitter. And it says if Potter and Zaka prove this season that they can be legit top six centers, how does that change 2024 free agency? Imagining they re-sign DeBrusque, uh, Swayman, and have Lorai in their top four defensemen, uh, they'd have good money to upgrade either defense or winger. So um, I think, Brian, that's pretty much what you were asking, and we can give our thoughts on that. Yeah, it it if Zaka and Patra prove to be legitimate one-two centers, it's huge. Like it solves so many issues for the Bruins and really allows them to build out a team elsewhere. Like, you know, all last season we talked about this tremendous depth they had, especially, especially up front and especially on the wing where you have like a Taylor Hall in the third line. Well, you can start getting back towards that kind of depth. If you don't have to go spend big money on a center uh, next summer or trade assets for a number one center this season or, whenever like it really opens up your options because you know Patra's signed up for under a million for you know if he does stick around this year and start his entry-level contract two more years after this Zaka's you know what four and a half or three more years after this so that is like that would be really cheap down the middle and allow you to really allocate some resources elsewhere and I think it would probably be on the wing. Like if you look ahead a little bit to uh, the free agent class this summer, and this will, you know, it's always going to change because guys will, some of these guys will sign extensions during the season. But at the center position, it's it's kind of thin. Like there's still Elias Lindholm there in Calgary. Obviously, Mark Shifley has now already signed. Um you know, and there's even been rumors that Lindholm might be working towards an extension with the Flames, so not even a guarantee he'll be there. Uh, the the big, big name, if he ended up being available, would be Elias Pettersson out in Vancouver. Um, but he, so he's a restricted free agent, 
Canucks do still have some team control uh, and presumably would end up getting a long-term deal done with him. But until that's done, you know, obviously you can't rule it out. And then after that, it's like, if you're talking about centers, I mean, Steven Stamkos might be there. There's been some rumblings that like, he's not really happy with how, but the fact that the lightning have basically ignored his contract and told him like, we'll talk about it after the season. Um, Wouldn't that be insane? Wouldn't that be crazy to have Steven Stamkos in this lineup? Yeah. I, I I do think he's probably better suited on the wing at this point in his career, but you know, for a short term solution, if, if you're looking to make a big splash, um, there's just, there's going to be a lot more wings though. Like possibly William Nylander, who's obviously going to get big money. But then even after that guys like Sam Reinhardt, Jake Gensel, Jordan Eberle, Tyler Bertuzzi will be back on the market. Jason Zucker, Tavo Taravainen, Adam Enrique, who's, you know, still a good player, even though he's in his mid thirties. If you were looking more for upside, there's like an Anthony Mantha, this, there's just more options at the wing if you're, you know, if you can go play in that pool in free agency and not be so bound to, well, we have to find a center, you know, one way or another, whether it's big money free agency or giving up a lot of collateral in a trade. Like, if you can just sort of be in the market for wings instead, that's, it would be huge. Obviously, we have a ways to go, right? Like, we're we're two games into Zaka and Patra trying to, <laughs> prove themselves a center so um ways to go but yes it would it would solve a lot yeah and i would say that it's not just you know 2024 free agency like talking about the offseason if you're in a position to be buyers at the trade deadline some of these moves could be made in season um and pretty much all of those wingers that you listed scott are players that perk everyone's ears up because those are those are really good players they're not going to come cheap most of them like Tara Vinen, no way um he's coming cheap Nylander either but uh those are all such big name players that have been with their teams for so long um people probably haven't even thought of them as options to add to their teams but now all of a sudden it becomes a possibility so um there's going to be a lot of people in the market for those guys as well it's going to be it's not going to be like, oh, we're the only person targeting these people. They're going to have offers and that's going to drive up the prices as well. So um, the funny thing is when I read this question, the very first thought I had was Tyler Bertuzzi coming back. Um, And I think a lot of people wanted him to sign here to start the season, but because he only signed that one-year deal with Toronto, he's going to be available again. Um, And you could get him at the deadline again as a rental or add him in free agency because it sounded like he had interest in signing with Boston, but there was some sort of miscommunication or mishandled contract situation. Maybe that was on him. Maybe that was on his agent. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the situation was, but he liked playing here. So he could be someone that they haven't forgotten about and they could go after again. Um, Like you mentioned, there's a lot of options. So adding someone like him back isn't the only way to go. I mean, we know what he brings. We know he brings uh, his net front skills on the power play. We know what he brings um, five on five as well. A little bit of that pest attitude the same way, a little kind of like Marsh on, but then you have those other options like Tara Vinen, that's more of a skilled winger. And then like you, like you just mentioned, a lot of those guys play very different styles. So those could all be options for them either in free agency or maybe even before that. 
Yeah, we just quickly note on Bertuzzi, it almost certainly wouldn't be as a rental just because I don't expect Toronto to be selling, but... That is you know, true, and maybe, neither is Carolina, hey, so... If, if Toronto... We have a question about Toronto later that we'll get to, but if they don't start playing defense, maybe, uh, you know, maybe they, they will be out of it, but... 